Hi, my name is Emily White, and I'm the author and host of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Um, thanks so much for joining. Today's episode is going to be uh, audio excerpts of the foreword of the book with Zoe Keating. Um, I'm just going to speak briefly and then basically let the tape roll for you all. Um, Zoe is a dear friend of mine. Uh, her younger sister is my best friend, although I know my best friend from tour managing Zoe a long time ago. Um, if you know Zoe and her career and music, awesome. If you don't, I'm excited to introduce you to her, um, even though she has over a million Twitter followers and um, really defines building a sustainable music career. I asked Zoe to write the foreword to this book because she's basically the only musician I've ever met um, that doesn't need to read this book. I say basically because my friend Jean Cook um, also falls into that category. If you fall into that category, let me know as well. Um, we'll we'll do a special podcast episode about you and your career. But um, Zoe is also widowed. She is a single parent. She basically runs her entire career. So to help her out, I told her, why don't I just interview you and uh, I can type that up into a forward and then that'll save you time. Um, so a few things about this recording and and an interview. It was pre-COVID. I mean, Zoe was flying to London like the next morning, I spoke to her for a few hours late at night. Um, so there's a few kind of non-pandemic times referenced. And uh, I also never planned on releasing this. So there's definitely some audio issues. I recorded it so I could transcribe the foreword. Um, so I'm sorry that I started walking around in my kitchen at some points towards the end. Um, but I felt that what Zoe was saying was really important. And I, I really love the forward in the book. Um, it's probably one time in my, in my life where I could really empathize or relate with a musician or songwriter because I, you know, I did the forward with Zoe after the book and I almost loved it more than the book. Kind of like when a musician's like, but listen to my new song. Like I, I understand what that feels like now. Um, but the forward with Zoe has received a huge reaction online. Um, I mean, the book was released coming up on a year, uh, released about a year ago. And uh, yeah, I, I still have people that just love this, this word with her. So anyway, I wanted to release this conversation. Um, I definitely edited it, it down to uh, uh, a variety of snippets. Most of them are pretty long. So like I said, I'm, I'm just going to let it flow. But um, yeah, this was a few hour conversation between friends. So um, on one hand, it's like, I'm, I'm not really like doing the best job hosting. Um, I'm, I'm literally just taking her through the chapters, but um, I'm all about substance. So I, I don't think you'll, you'll mind my lack of style on this. Cause like I said, I never, I never planned on releasing this recording. Um, just a couple other notes uh, before I let you listen and, and dig in. Um, Julia Nunes is an artist that I manage. Uh, we we reference her um, at some point and just, just use the name Julia. So I wanted to add context to that. Um, Zoe also talks about how important it is to have uh, deals with your bandmates and uh, told me a story about um, 
you know, a bandmate receiving a 30 grand recording advance. And Zoe and the drummer each getting a thousand dollars and not knowing about it. Um, I did edit most of that out for privacy reasons, but, um, yeah, she's got, Zoe's got some great quotes in there. So, um, I did want to add a little context to, to those quotes. So they're not completely random. Um, Zoe references Randy and Peter. Uh, Randy is Zoe's, uh, sync and film scoring agent. Peter is her attorney. Um, I reference Amanda and Brian, who are the band, the Dresden Dolls, that Zoe has, has also toured with quite a bit and knows very well. Um, so yeah, so hopefully those notes make sense. Um, I I will uh, stop talking because this episode is going to be pretty long, but um, hopefully you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed uh, talking to Zoe. So um, that's pretty much all I have to say on uh, the forward episode of how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. Um, always tons of love for Matthew Wong, uh, in general and for composing, um, the beautiful music he did for this podcast. So I'll let Zoe take it from here and I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much. Sorry about the delay. Oh, no worries. <laughs> Is he all settled in? Yes. Yeah. I'll just keep my voice down, but he'll be, he'll be asleep soon. Okay, cool. <laughs> you said it casually before and it's, it's, it's kind of like what this whole book is about where you're just like, well, I have my audience, you know? And it's like, and that's something oh, yeah. I'm constantly trying to point out to artists when they get distracted right. by other things. I'm like, it's true. It's true. I'm doing this for a few reasons. One, um, this is information that's out there, but I've never seen it presented in order. Um, yeah, it's true. maybe like a blog here or there, but true. Never but, like all on a book. Right. And yeah. so I see musicians at these conferences spending a ton of money and just like grasping at nuggets of information, like grasp, you know, trying hard, but yeah. considering it was an industry that was set up decades ago to confuse artists, um, that would be like trying to teach a child multiplication and division before you teach them addition and subtraction. Um, mm-hmm. So, and also it was like, it was information I was kind of, I was sick of explaining to people and just felt like you shouldn't have to know me, um, to have access to this. And then the revenue stream component is I was sick of taking on national acts that people have heard of and, and be finding money for them, which on one hand I know is my job, but is like kind of messed up if it's people that, you know, that people have heard of. And why I wanted you involved with this forward, like I said, is you're, including Amanda and Julia, you're the only musician I've ever met that doesn't need to read this book. Um, (laughs) So. That's funny. Do you feel that way? I mean, you, 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 know, you understand. Um, yeah, yeah I, I did read it and I was like, oh yeah, I don't need to. Uh, I, what, I, what I did think was interesting was that um, I didn't know any of this stuff going in. <laughs> right. So um, I, I wonder, like, would it have been different if I knew? I just, I just, but I have that kind of, I realize I'm unique in that um, I have that software programmer's mentality of, oh, here's a bug. How do I fix it? Or what's behind this? Or, you know, I'm always, I look at the system and that's just kind of in my nature. And and I've approached it like I would approach designing a map or debugging a piece of code or whatever. So, yeah. um, I mean, I figured it out as I went along too, although I I can't code. Um, Yeah. I think there's other, you know, nearly everybody I know who did this either 
created that on their own or they had somebody who did it for them. Um, and I think, I don't know what it would be like to start now and to know all these things. And would it be better? Like, who knows? Well, um, it's interesting you mentioned that because I was really frustrated when Taylor Swift um, made her big statement about um, not owning her masters and how upset she was. Um, and because that was, that was confusing to me because on one hand, I'm like, I completely emotionally get how you feel, but that's the piece of paper you signed one. Like that's what you signed up for literally. And two artists like Prince, like warned you and many others, like not that long ago. Um, yeah. The only thing I can think of is that maybe she didn't know what it meant at the time or no, her dad's a stockbroker and is involved. (laughs) Her dad owned part of the company that owns the masters. That was the other messed up thing. But you know, I bring this up, um, because you know, that was a big story for a few weeks and it was like, Oh, Taylor Swift brings up the topic of master. I'm like, we've been talking about this for decades. And yeah. And, and then also like artists I work with or know, or, and I'm just getting to know these students, like they still want to be on labels. Yeah, I know. You know, like we just started, I find that, I find that really yeah. surprising. I, I come across it all the time. I'm like, what, what, what why, why? I do too. <laughs> you know, because it really, you know, it, sure. Maybe in the olden days, like if you needed them to open doors for you, they, they were slammed shut all the time. But, um, nowadays the, the only way, reason you would do it, I would think, would be that if they can bring you more of an audience than you can bring yourself. And that's not necessarily given anymore. Not at all. Um, so, and it's, you know, we just started managing. Other ways to, other ways to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, I just, at this point in my career, I, I'm not even doing much direct managing. I'm working with the managers on our team who bring me these concerns or whatever. And we just started working with like a brand, brand new artist. And I was so blunt with him because he was like, okay, I'm ready for this to be my job. And I was like, okay, that's not your decision. Um, and then the next thing was, and I feel like the music I made is perfect for an indie label. And I'm like, well, you just said you want this to be your job. So you're going to give up at least 50% of your recording revenue. Uh, I just, it's like step by step didn't make sense with the goals. So, um, yeah. So just, I mean that, I I don't know if if you see that, but like that comes up in my world constantly. And I just, Uh I just feel like you've done so much and like Prince, Fugazi, like, yeah. Yeah. I I still find uh, people who want to be on labels uh, or actually I had a situation recently where this guy who has a, a, a record label in New York City and they're known for doing really, really super, super high resolution um, audio recordings of kind of unique artists and they just do them as one-off. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I thought was worth, it was the only thing I thought was worth doing because it was something I wouldn't do myself. Well, anyway, you know, he put forward the idea of like what, what where, where in the city we'd record it, what kind of microphones we would use. And, and um, I was trouble troubleshooting with the engineer about like how we could do high resolution multi tracks of my live recordings and stuff. And everything was great until they sent me a rough deal memo. And I said, no, <laughs> because of, uh, you know, they wanted all the publishing, for example. Yeah. And, and um, I said, you know, I love this idea, but this isn't worth enough to me. For me to put this much work into a project, um, 
you know, and then, oh, and then they said, oh, but we'll give you a five thousand dollar advance. <laughs> I said, I said I can make five thousand dollars in one day. Mm-hmm. Was was the advance part of the deal memo, or, or was or did the advance or the five thousand dollars arise after you said that? The five thousand dollars arrived after I said right. that. That, yeah. was, that was their care. And so I said, you know, thanks dropping this to me. It was really great for me to think about it. And and I, I said honestly to them, it was the first time I actually thought about giving up a percentage of something in exchange for something else. But I think ultimately this isn't the right situation for me. So yeah, and that was that. And they were really. They seemed kind of hurt, and I said, "Yeah, I just tried to be." <laughs> so anyway, that was that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about this, like producers and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I was dealing. I'll, well, I'll just tell you real quick. So I feel like a like I've been dealing with this a lot over the past year or so. Like producers who do not have the reel to back it up, ask just asking for tons of stuff. You know, yeah. like, and I work with Pat Sansone, who's in Wilco. Like I've worked with Brennan Benson. These are like you know, world-class producers and artists who like, I know they're cash producing, right? I, I see people who do not have their reels and, and resumes being like, I want 30% of the master, 50% of the publishing and full okay. cash and full. And, and I'm just like, where are you getting this information? And then I don't like when people are like, oh, there's less money. Like, I'm like, people hated it back in the day, you know, like, yeah. and, and, and I would also argue there's more opportunity. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. So, okay. So I was talking about, you know, how you figured this all out and, and how I see conference, I see musicians like spending a lot of money to be at conferences and they're totally okay. overwhelmed. Um, do you feel that conferences, you know, serve this educational purposes or how can musicians best educate themselves or can they? I do think conferences are good because it's like a, you know, there is a smorgasbord, whatever you want to call it, where you can go and hear different things that you might not know. Mm-hmm. Um, and for example, I first heard about sound exchange at South by Southwest, South by Southwest. Yeah. You know? I, I met somebody there and I signed up and that was that. Um, and then, um, you know, it's a good place to meet your peers. I think, in, in my experience, musicians tend to be, you know, you have your summer in bands, what have you, but it's not an incredibly social experience for me. And I don't often come across a lot of musicians who are talking about business. Yeah. Um, unless I'm at a concert. Right. And, um, and then, you know, it's really, the best parts are those hallway conversations where somebody talks about you know, well, I've never gotten any from ASCAP of you, and well, I have, and well, what did you do? Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Um, uh, in fact, it was a conference, it was that one in San Francisco, what was it called, SF Music Tech? Mm-hmm. That was probably the most influential conference of any of them. Wow. Um, and uh, that was where I met a representative from YouTube who 
I talked with them for a little bit, and after hearing how many videos I had up there that were third-party videos, they got me a um, content management account. Nice. And that was just a hallway conversation that, you know, I didn't know that that existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, several other things like that. So, But in terms of um, a lot of the stuff, like when I was starting out, was really opaque. And in fact, some of it still is. Like, you know, this year I got involved with um, the Mechanical Licensing Coalition stuff from the Music Modernization Act. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so for a brief period while the group I was in with Jeff Price, we were, you know, we did a bid to the copyright office to run the MLC and we lost, we, we lost to the big wigs, which was mm-hmm. kind of expected because it was sort of expected because they were really chummy with Catherine Temple, the head of the copyright office. But I learned so much about mechanical royalties that even I didn't really know. <laughs> right. Um, and as I was, I was on this mission during this, very short one month period to try and educate musicians like me or musicians who are starting out to let them know what was on the table, like what, yeah. what was about to happen. But there was such a huge barrier because they didn't know what mechanical royalties were. Yes. Right. Um, and so, so I thought I was an expert on this, right? Mm-hmm. And then I discovered through my, <laughs> involvement with this group that I actually had almost $10,000 in mechanical royalties that had never been collected. Wow. Which I just got to check like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it was because of the amount in my name that um, the, the, the sound, this happened with sound exchange too. They were, they had two, they had multiple Zoe Keatings in the, in the original sound exchange. They had Z-O question mark Keating. Ugh. They had Z-O-E dot dot Keating and they had Z-O-E with no dots Keating. And those were all different records and they were not matched up and they couldn't find the, who, who that was. Wow. Was dumb, dumb. The, I've really gotten into the data part of it all right now. Yeah. Um, but that, but I also learned like, if you know, most people, they don't register their works with the copyright office anymore. But if you don't do that, even though the streaming services are required to pay you mechanical royalties, um, it doesn't happen because they get they get the registration from the copyright office to, to then send the notices of use. And if you don't have that on file with the copyright office, you might not ever get your mechanical royalties. Wow. So like, I actually, I never registered my works for a long time. And all during that time, the mechanical royalties were just sitting in a bucket and nobody was getting them until after a period of two years, they get liquidated and given to like Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I'm just saying like, there are so there's like, there's two levels. There's level you're talking about in your book, which is these are the things that you need to do as an artist to get paid. But there's, that's kind of like, I feel like a surface layer for us as musicians to get stuff done. Yes. Meanwhile, there's this complication on the back end, which is, which is still very complicated and I don't even know how to address like <laughs> it's almost like that needs to be a, uh, an academic paper or something like that. Um, like yeah. there could be an entire book just on how mechanical royalties do or don't work and, and the, the, the chain of events from somebody filing their song with the copyright office and then the streaming revenue getting reported by the streaming service to somebody like Harry Fox and then Harry Fox going to the copyright office and then back and forth until finally Five years down the road, they find the copyright owner. And, um, all that stuff has, I thought that, I thought that things were more streamlined now. And I thought that, hey, I just need to know a few things to get by. And yeah. I realized that there is still 
there are some really entrenched problems and that yeah you, you can only register, the only way that you can get your like neighboring rights from another country is a song trust that's the one thing you cannot do on your own like, right. I've always tried to do everything on my own and there's like there is one thing that you actually can't do on your own that's, that's right get, get your mechanicals from like Europe or whatever mm-hmm. so well, maybe that's, maybe that's the next book. Maybe even if it's just, I interview you like this and we put it out with like future of music or something because uh-huh. Kevin is obviously such a, uh, so passionate and such a resource for all this. And, and it sounds like you got exactly what I'm doing here. Um, uh-huh. because there are entire books on every chapter in this book. Yeah. But yeah. And it, although, everything you are saying is so important and right. It just took notes on it. Um, I've never stood at a conference and had, you know, I say who here can explain to me what music publishing is. Yeah. You know, and not only can no one, no one ever explain it, but at one conference they were like, someone awkwardly was like, you know, no one could answer it. And they were like, the panel before you was on music publishing, you know, like they had just heard an hour of that. So my point is like, here's what it is. We're going to define it very simply mm-hmm. and here's how you collect on it um yeah yeah the the, um, the other big one right now for me is grand rights um the, the there are now over twenty two thousand videos on youtube that are things with my music in them and most, sure. of them are dance, most of them are dance performances and none of them got licenses and so i turned a blind eye to of course like students but i think sure. that way are for free you know but some of them were like professional ballet companies like this like the uh the Royal Swedish Ballet. Wow. Or the Paris Opera Ballet or the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. Or, um, you know, these are things that even us as non-dance people have heard of. Totally. And they, they use my music in their projects without um, licensing it. Unreal. And so I've since found that it happens to, you know, uh, <laughs> this other composer who's kind of similar to me in, in, some, in some regards named Max Richter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's an issue he deals with on a daily basis too. <laughs> I'm sure, that's crazy. And even with students, yeah. it's like someone just put you know a visual artist just put made these like gorgeous shirts with Julia's face on it, you know. And and Julia's like, well, I want to be nice. I'm like, well, we'll be nice. And and Pompey, my day to day manager, beat me to it. Pompey's like, but we also want to teach this young artist like how that works. You know, it's not like we're trying yeah. to hit her up for a bunch of cash. We yeah. just Someone else is going to send her a cease and desist. It won't be us, but we'd rather educate her. Yeah. So I have a, a another. There's another revenue stream for me, which is that I, I don't. I don't go after these things myself, but I. I have my attorney who I've had for a long time, and um, periodically he goes through and he finds established productions. You know, like like the Swedish Royal Swedish Ballet or yeah. the Paris Ballet or whatever, and um, he finds them or like uh, the Museum of modern art or like you know like in an exhibit things like that um occasionally he goes through and he finds them and then he sends them license requests yeah and and it's that thing i i i would have been against it in in the past but i realized that if you one part of of having created something is that actually you have to protect it yes um and that nobody nobody's going to go out of their way to Give, send you a royalty checks from some 20 performances of something from a ballet. You, you have to, you have to just send them the letter. And, um, so, uh, it's one of those things, Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, all the other, 
all the you know small productions of the little dance companies. I I would never sure. I would never do that because they you know they they're they're, they're probably paying money to perform. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, you say, you say, how did you learn these things? Yeah. I learned a lot of things by making mistakes, honestly. Well, and although that's an awful experience, like, I think that's okay, too, you know, because you learned, right? Yeah, I did learn. I did. Um, yeah. So, okay, so I'm going to go through the chapters and then ask how yeah. that relates to you. So the first chapter is get your art together. How do you know when you're, quote, ripe and ready to record? And the reason yeah. I say this is, um, I mean, I understand why musicians at conferences, like, are excited to play their music for, like, an industry person or whatever. But um, I feel like almost every musician I meet is like, I still need to work on my vocals or I need a new drummer or whatever. And it's just like, I just feel like that can be, I feel like sometimes they rush and it's like, you know, when you're ripe and ready to record. So do you have any comments on that? I would say that that's different for each person. I I did. I think I thought about that and get your art together is, you know, you have to have something to say (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to execute it. I think what I noticed with artists who are starting out is often there's a huge gap between what they want to achieve and what they want to do on stage or in the studio and what they can do right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say there's a period of time when what I call the kid, you, you should just keep that to yourself. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to go out there and, you know, I had my little, uh, not being very articulate right now, maybe, I had my little time a little bit like, you know, the Beatles had their time in Germany when they were really building <laughs> their soundcraft. Totally. Yeah, people talk about that. Yeah. I had my time in the warehouse where I could perform every weekend to an adoring living room audience. And I could make mistakes and I could learn how to talk to the audience and all that stuff. So I was not ready to perform. Yeah. <laughs> but at some point, there was a time when I was ready to go out there and do it. And um, so, but that said, I do know some people who kind of hash it out as they go along and Mm -hmm. they don't really have a clue. (laughs) Right. So, I guess they, 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 yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. But you know, that, that thing of like the bands, like they're like, okay, let's record an album. And there's like no way that they're ready to record. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess it's just just like, it's going to be a waste of money and time and they're just going to get disappointed. Yeah. And like, I'm just reminding folks that like, you know, you as the artist know when, when you have something to say, when it's, when it's true to you, you know, cause I'm, I'm also unfortunately hearing from talented artists, like, Oh, I think like this label would like that. Or I, you know, or what? And I'm just like, did you write it for them? Or who did you, uh-huh. you know? Um, and yeah, even I, like, I would, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. There was something else I was thinking of is that I, I don't know. I can't speak for the artists, but for me, I had a, a kind of a long period of working in private on something. Mm-hmm. And then I was done with, I worked really hard on like my little live show. And I also worked on my EP that I was doing. And I did it by myself in a room and I worked on it for maybe quite some time. I can't remember how long it was, but it was, it was time until finally I felt like it was really ready. And, and I knew that this was, I had made something different that really felt, I felt proud of. I felt like it represented me as a person. Yeah. That was how, that was what I knew. It was something, it wasn't just something I thought was cool or I liked it. It It really felt like this is a musical version of myself. I love it. That's, that's, 
that's when I knew that I was ready to get out there. However, what happened next was in my enthusiasm, I started sending it out to people I knew in the industry because I was already known as a session cellist. And then I started getting the, the rejections, which I realized now I was lucky to get. Often you don't hear anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so then I got all the rejections. And that that's a really difficult point because here you are, you have your soul encapsulated in musical form and people are telling you that it's not interesting or it doesn't have any marketability or maybe you should have vocals to that or why don't you come into my office and then I'll make a, get a picture of you lying across a uh, uh, fur rug and we'll put that on the cover and that'll be great, you know, <laughs> which actually happened to me. Amazing. Um, so, um, that's, that's really crushing. And what do you do next? Because more likely than not, you're going to be crushed by, you're going to think that somebody should hear this musical soul and they're not going to hear what you hear because yeah. maybe if it's good, this is what I think if it's good, maybe it hasn't been done before. Mm-hmm. And people in the business only want to hear things that they already know somebody else has done. Right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think nearly all the artists I love started doing something that nobody in the industry had heard before and therefore they weren't ready to hear it yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so what do you do next? Are you gonna be are you gonna go back to your room and are you gonna be crushed or are you gonna do it yourself? So <laughs> and just, Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's the splitting moment. Yeah. So for me, I did it myself. Now that's not that doesn't have to be a linear path. You can do it yourself for a while and then maybe maybe then you get a record deal if that's what you want or a publishing deal if that's what you want or or you can have some parts of it managed by others, you know? So, but that that kind of like, how do you know when you're ready? Get your art together, yes. Once you start getting your art out there and you're going to get you know, nine no's for every one yes, what do you do with that? Well, and like, what are these no's, you know, what are these no's like in, in this era? It's like, you, you actually just articulated exactly my point because my entire career musicians send me their music and they're like, oh, I wanted to get your feedback on this. I'm like, why do you care yeah. what I think? You know, like, yeah, I, I, like what, I, get, I like what I, I like and <laughs> yeah, and I'm not, I'm actually not a very good quote, like A&R person. Like there are, I dated this guy who's like brilliant at AAA radio, like Glass Note, like will not sign an artist without it being vetted to the extent that um, they turned down the Lumineers and was like jumping up and down, like, this is a hit, this is a hit. You know, like I don't have those kind of ears and very, um, very few people in the world do. And there's obviously so many ways to have Chris. So I've never under, I mean, I guess I understand, but I've never understood that when artists are like, Oh, I want your feedback or like, I want to know what you think. I'm like, who cares? And I've been really, you know, honored to work with artists where it's like, they have a clear vision and this is the art. And then I help, you know, like put the plan together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So that's right. You got that exactly right. That's awesome. Um, okay. So next one, um, basically getting your communication platforms in place before yeah. you hit the studio. I thought, I thought your focus on like email is, is crucial, and it's still amazing that in 2019 people don't do that, um, and they just rely on Facebook or yes. Instagram or whatever. And um, it just got to all be about the email list and it's worth the money. Like, I feel like that's the, that's the one thing I pay for the email is every month and I'm happy to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing we've been playing around with, and I'd be curious what your fans would think about this is we've also been doing some text lists. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, when I say email list, that's just like the bucket that it gets held yeah. in. But I actually, I don't put an email list out anymore. I just, I tell people the number from the stage. Oh, great. You know, it's like four 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 nine 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 or something like that. And and I put posters of that in the lobby by the merch table mm-hmm. um, with the number. And it's because I'm famous for putting out my email list sign up sheet, and then I th- I lose them. Yeah. <laughs> or or I don't enter the numbers. I don't right. enter the um, the email. And uh, for a while, I was using TaskRabbit. Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing, you know. I'd, I'd like get them all together in a pile. I'd scan them and I'd put it up as a job on task, TaskRabbit. And a day later, you have it all done as data entry. So um, that's that's the way to do it. And then I just started using the text, which is great. <laughs> and, I, and way more people sign up on text than, yep. than do. Yeah, exactly. Which is also the case for like voting too. They're seeing a lot, a lot oh, more. Yeah. You know, obviously. Yeah. And all that has really advanced in the last few years. I mean, yep. you know, just doing that, the mobile apps and all that stuff, and it's that's gotten so much smoother and easier to do than it used to be. Exactly. Um, Although it's funny. All, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and and now that um, even even Twitter, Twitter use was sort of the last social media holdout for me that, that wasn't... Um, doing an algorithm for your feed. Right. And now they are. And you can switch back to the see latest tweets, but the default is to get the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, it, it just means that like you, you might build your audience somewhere and then they're, they're not going to know about it because you've given all of your um, asset over to another company, yeah. <laughs> essentially. And who knows whether they're going to continue to let that work for you. Facebook in particular, I mean, we all complain about that, but I was just, I just did a little test to see like, can I actually, if I was going to pay to, to have a post, to have everyone see it, how much would that cost? It would, and, and it would cost, it would cost at least a thousand dollars to get half of them, I think. Wow. <laughs> and I'm not sure that they, that I can even do it for all like 54,000 or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's not that's not feasible. <laughs> no, and and it's nothing that we haven't known for a long time. I mean, I no, that ever since the rest of the Justin update, yeah, yeah. Well, and like you know, I it's it's not hard to illuminate that to younger people. It's like, what if you built your career on MySpace, and then they're like, oh yeah, right, um, yeah. So, okay, what you're saying about the texting is funny and interesting because it also shows you how nothing has changed because um, Amanda and I tried to do that, you know, like over 10 years ago before like Uh platforms existed. We would just put a Google voice number on like a piece of cardboard and like hold it up. Yeah. No, I actually, I remember, I remember that happening. I remember there was a number and and somebody was getting them on their phone and it was kind of annoying. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. And now there's nice platforms to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I use a uh, textable. Oh, nice. Okay. I'll check that out. I've been using textedly. Yeah. I'm sure they're like, all identical. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't have like a go-to other, I mean, we did a little research, but yeah. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like the only artist who has never made a video, so I don't use YouTube. Um, interesting yeah why uh, um, well I think 
quirky to me. Yeah. Because, first of all, I know that I don't watch videos myself. And yeah. If somebody sends me their music and it's in video form, I will never listen to it. Because yeah. Because I can't handle video. I'm just, I think I'm a highly sensitive person and video is difficult for me. So, um, so I just never go there. And so it just didn't occur to me. And then, yeah, and I, I, for a while people would ask me for one, you know, like, and then I just didn't need it. Yeah. So, um, I'm not opposed to the idea, but, um, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, I just haven't used it. And in a way I kind of like it because it's like I've entered people's musical consciousness purely with music, which is what yeah. I wanted to do from day one. Like from, from day one, I just wanted to be a musician. I didn't want to make t-shirts. I didn't want to even, you know, I didn't want to sell any kind of merchandise at all. I just wanted to be about the music. And the other thing, I mean, there's another thing I'm not talking about, which is that I had a lot of, I was very self-conscious as a younger person. You know, I had a lot of, I was not happy with my appearance, all that kind of thing. And so I was kind of physically shy on one thing. And Mm -hmm. um, that was one part of it. And then the other thing was that I always worked hard to down, there was a point in my 20s when I I started really downplaying my feminine characteristics on stage because I didn't Mm -hmm. like the kind of attention I was getting. Right. <laughs> and I, it made me feel really uncomfortable, and I had a few awkward situations, especially you know when I was in bands and stuff. And I think that I just wanted to do everything possible to not be a female in the spotlight. Yeah, um, I wanted to like desexualize myself or desexualize the music. Right, and that there's no way there's no way to do that in music unless you do not have like, videos and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't really conscious, but I realized that it, it is—it's definitely an undercurrent for my music history. But um, and and then I did have an experience where, in those early days when I sent my music out, there was a producer who was kind of well known, and I was really excited that he was into my music. And um, you know, he brought me to his office, and he stood there in front of his desk with his crutch right at my face. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it was classic. And he had this whole vision for how he was going to package my work, just like these other artists that he had produced who were women. And they were all in like various stages of undress, like on the cover and all kind of sexy. And, and I didn't want sex to sell my music. Right. And I felt like I had to do that. I had to choose. Like women have to choose. Like, oh, well, what kind of woman are you going to be? Are you going to be the sexy woman? Are you going to be the quirky woman? Are you going to be the mm-hmm. woman? What kind of woman are you going to be? And I was like, I'm going to be none of them. I'm just going to be my own weird self. Yeah, that's amazing. And so in a way, it's like I feel like me not having a video has become a thing where yeah, it's like it's it's like me having control over my own image or lack thereof I don't know I love that I think the only reason I reacted the way I did is is your music does work so well with picture obviously yeah which is more than half of my income so right who knows maybe because I don't have any videos maybe people people are able to think of it like it's it's almost a joke actually how many emails I get where people are like your music is so perfect for my project Right. And it's, they're completely different from each other. And it, it speaks to them yeah. in some way that they just have to license it. You know? mm-hmm. So um, so maybe, like, I feel in some ways the music is, it is my soul in musical form. But it's also a blank slate for people to put their own image on. Yeah. That's so beautiful because I also, I mean, this is, this is almost what we were talking about before with kids and devices and everything. But um 
I deal with so much FOMO with artists. I mean, I know that's like society wide, but, um, it's awesome what you're describing, right? It's not like, well, their, their Instagram video is like this and why am I not doing that or whatever? It's just like, you know what? I'm just not, I'm not doing this. Yeah. I I think I feel really lucky to have grown up, um, when I talk about being self-conscious, I'm not self-conscious the way teens are now with Instagram and what have you. Right. Can you I imagine? mean, that, like I was, I was just kind of gawky and awkward, you know, and and um, you know, I was a very androgynous teen and I'm not quite sure where I fit in, in you know, in the world. Yeah. Nowadays, we're a little more used to that, but I didn't have any like major media images that showed anybody like me. You know? So um, I didn't have a sense of what I looked like, and I didn't really care. And I like to be like that in general. Like that's. That's just how I've always been. I prefer to. That's why I have dreadlocks because dreadlocks look great when you wake up in the morning and you don't even have to look in the mirror. Totally. <laughs> also, I'm, you know, talking about sustainable. I'm in this for the long game. Mm-hmm. And that, um, I want my career to last my entire life. And so whatever is happening right now, right this second, I really just don't care about it. Yeah. Unless, it inter- unless it interests me artistically. Right. Like, I'm going to get, I might make a video if, if I, if for some reason I'm like artistically motivated to do it and then I'm going to make the video like I make my music. Right. <laughs> and, it, and it will be something that is another representation of what I do. Um, but otherwise I probably won't bother. Yes. Very interesting. Um, so yeah, so this is not something I run into often, but basically just reminding artists like before you hit the studio, make sure um, your email list, text club, yeah. your social media accounts are in place. Cause you don't want to be like, putting that together, you know, after the fact. Um, so I, I talk about you a lot when I talk about, uh, balance with social media. Um, I try to advise artists like with social media and, and even like business email, um, whether you love it or hate it, commit to an hour of business day. Um, because obviously like if you love the business stuff, you can get way too addicted to that. And then you're neglecting the art. Um, if you completely neglect your social media and your business email and stuff, um, unfortunately it could be too much in art world. And maybe you and I were on the same panel or something and, and, and you said yeah. like how you like hole up, um, you know, hole up in yeah. the studio. And then, I mean, how do you, how are I mean, you have so much going on, but how, how are you balancing that? Uh, well, luckily, I've, I've, I've taken I, some of the, the reasons why I used, to, I used to in the past stay on email all the time was because increasingly so much of my world was licensing. And for me, again, I'm lucky. My licensing is mostly things that fall out of the sky. It's like, oh, Chrysler, just somebody calls me out of the blue and it's like, we want to give you, we want to do a Super Bowl commercial. And, and I, you know, first of all, I can't believe that happened. And, but I had to respond within 24 hours. Yeah. So right. it seemed like for a long time there, every single licensing thing I got, and these were life changing things. Like I got enough money from that to build a freestanding recording studio in my backyard. Amazing. Um, I was so afraid to ever be away from my email because what if I got one of those? And yeah. I, I was, you know, so I had this terrible paranoia about it for such a long time. And um, so, what I decided, but it was really limiting me because um, I felt continually attached and I felt really distracted. Totally. Um, and that as long as there's a, there's a piece of my brain that is out there tracking what's happening in the world, I actually have a real difficulty now being creative unless I let that go sometimes. So I solved it by realizing that that was a problem 
and giving it to somebody else. Good. <laughs> so that's what you have to do, right? So that's what Randy does for me. Like both Randy and Peter, um, I have like a bucket, you know, licensing request, and it sends to one email address that goes to all that goes to all three of us. That's great. Um, and so then I can just ignore it. Yeah, me too. And and then if there's anything like licensing request, Randy, you know. He's a Hollywood agent, so he's already farming that off to his, his assistants right. anyway. His assistants read it. If they see anything that comes in, then they do it. Um, and that way, I don't miss anything big. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's, so, yeah. That's so then I, then I do have, I do actually have days now. Just um, my, my, my work life is so limited to between 8 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. That's it. Five days a week. Nice. I mean, that's not by choice. It's the elementary school hours. Right. So that's not a lot of time. No. <laughs> it takes so much time to make my music. Like this movie I'm working on right now takes hours, it's hours and hours and hours just to make a couple minutes of music. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I just can't, I can't do that anymore. And, and in fact, um, the, you know, I have, I do have like a day, a week, sometimes two days where I'm not really, not really checking my email. Um, yeah, and then uh, it's funny how text is taken over now. For somebody I know. Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> but um, and then as for social media, again, this is where I feel sometimes where I'm not. But maybe maybe I'm, maybe I'm qualified to talk about it. But you know, I had this major terrible life event happen, like right in the middle of my life, and so mm-hmm. um, as a result of that, I found some form of social media to be incredibly painful. Yeah. Um, there's nothing quite like losing your life partner to make you not really want to go to any place where you see people posting posting pictures of their happy family. Of course. So I had to kind of nuke my Facebook profile, (laughs) which I did gradually over time. And, um, and so there's this little, you know, thing with, with Facebook, I, I, I only use the business aspect of it. So I try to not ever go to the personal part. And that means you can't use their web interface. You have to use an app. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, so Facebook, I've really stopped using mostly for that reason, actually. And then once the election came around, I felt like, wow, this was really a reckoning. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I felt really conflicted, like a lot of artists, like, should I even be sending people here? Because this right. might be bad for society and for the future of democracy mm-hmm. and what have you. Um, and I feel really conflicted about it. So um, the kind of natural, I used to have a real, like, I've changed. I used to have a really natural share my life with people thing. And um, I stopped doing that, for one thing, because my life was actually kind of difficult there for a couple of years. And then, you know, the other thing was that I didn't really want people to be up there doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and I made a decision. I was like, you know, this is probably going to, I'm going to take a hit for this. And if I'm, when I get it back, I'll probably have to build it back up. It's not even possible. And I just decided that it was okay. Yeah. It is okay. Yeah. Things evolve. Wow, you answered. I had like a lot of questions and about this, and you you pretty much just answered all of them. Um, so that's amazing. 
Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I think also there's there's one thread in all of this, right? And that's that whatever is happening to your life and career right now will probably not be happening tomorrow. Um, And so it's really good to stay nimble and to not be too dogmatic about things. Like, um, Like early on in my career, I couldn't say, I refuse to work for hire. I had to. Yeah. Um, now I'm saying I'm never doing work for hire. Right. <laughs> so it's just an example of like things are going to have to, things are shift over time. And whereas in the past I might like share my pancake recipes or whatever, I might, I might not do that anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, in the, the, there are some other ways to go, you know, kind of what to do. Like, okay, I really, am I going to do a pre-order and then I'm going to release it everywhere? There, there is some nuance in there for people. Yes. You know, like, like, you know, you, you don't have to put it on every platform all at once. Exactly. Um, and things like that that people don't think of. And, um, and there's a lot of pressure in the industry to like, oh, no, you have to release everything all at once on every single platform. And like, no, 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 no. Like one, maybe a major artist has to do that if they want to chart. Right. <laughs> but that's not, that's not what we're doing here. No. So, um, it's actually, if you're a small artist, you, it, it matters where you do it first because you, you might need the money. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And Julia just charted. So yay for that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. I still remember, I can remember the moment that I learned about my, that I was on the billboard charts with, with Into the Trees. Mm-hmm. Because I was in San Francisco and um, Jeff and I had come down to the city for the day. We were doing something and but we, you know, we lived like an hour and a half north and mm-hmm. we were in our Volkswagen, we were in our Volkswagen bus and I had the baby um, who I was nursing and I was, we had parked the Volkswagen bus by Ocean Beach and I was nursing in the back seat and I got this phone call from somebody at Nielsen who wanted to verify my info. Amazing. <laughs> and they, they wanted to, they were like, well, what's the record label? And I said, well, it's my own imprint, O2, O2 Music. And, and they were kind of, they said, well, you know, I said, and I said, well, wait a minute, what's this for? I said, well, um, you're a uh, number, um, he said, you know, you were like number five on the classical charts. Amazing. <laughs> and I was like, what? What? How is that even possible? I couldn't believe it. And I just remember where I was at that moment. It was so incongruous, you know, <laughs> with mm-hmm. me being like in a Volkswagen bus by Ocean Beach with a baby attached to my boob. I and I remember I, I remember, I remember he started crying and I said, oh, hold on a second. I'm nursing my baby. I have to switch sides. I put the phone down on the side. I switched the baby to the other boob and picked the phone back up. So great. Very cool. Okay. So the next chapter is get your business affairs together before you hit the studio and fair compensation. Um, so here's a bunch yeah, of, yeah, basically what I'm, obviously what I'm saying there is like, okay, I, everybody hates talking about money, especially creative people. Nobody likes talking anyway. So like you have to get together before you hit the studio, get coffee, talk it all out, you know, like put the terms yeah, or, at least in email. Yeah, go ahead. I, I would say with this one, um, some I've discovered over time that sometimes people are more free talking about this stuff via email. Interesting. And that, um, and that people might feel pressure to sort of agree or, because there's different power relationships in any musical arrangement. Yeah. <laughs> um, and people who are at different stages of their career, what have you, might want to be nice. And there's a lot of pressure to, 
to be reasonable. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes when things are by email, some of the um, some of the emotion can be stripped out of it, and you can still be polite and cool and you know breezy with each other. But um, you're doing it by email, right? And I've actually found accidentally that that often ends up happening and is often the best way to figure out what the splits are. And Imogen is actually particularly good at this um, because, you know, since she started doing everything, um, since she started doing her, you know, Ethereum blockchain project, Mm -hmm. um, everything is is split up front for everything and, um, you know, in a way to track it. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, it's not, it doesn't have to be fraught. It can just be like, well, you know, this is what I think is fair. If you think it's more and blah, blah, blah. And this is how I will pay you. And that's the other thing too, figuring out the splits. Like, are you going to take more up front and less in the back end? Or are you going to take less up front and more in the back end? But then how are you going to manage the back end? All that. Here, that's great. I, I think um, both ways are, are really good and really important. The issue that I've been seeing is people not talking about it at all. Yeah, I, I think that's, it's, it's like, um, maybe, maybe it's similar to any kind of salary discussion. I think people right. have difficulty, they have, they have difficulty talking about money. It's, it's a, it's a cultural problem. <laughs> um, and the only way to do it is just to get through the uncomfortableness and to bring it up. Somebody's got to bring it up. I find that it is in some musical situations, it's the last thing that's brought up. Mm-hmm. You have like this. You have a whole day of rapport, and then at the end, you're like, "Oh, by the way, it's, it's like thousand dollars, okay?" Right. <laughs> um, it's it's going to be awkward until somebody makes the first move, and yeah. if and it's always going to be better for you if, you, if that's you. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everything you're saying is right. That the one thing I'm suggesting that I just that did, did not happen on a few projects I walked in, like in the middle of, is you know. Mm-hmm. It's like have that coffee or, or email is fine too, where I, you know, I recommend like, just tell everyone it's, you know, usually I'm, I'm dealing with the artist who's also the songwriter. And it's like, you need to tell everyone if they feel like they wrote on something, they have to bring it up in the moment or as soon as the session ends, not six months okay. later out of oh, the blue because they assumed something yeah. and then it's a total disaster. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, th- this is a thing where it really, it, there are some things you can figure out as you go along, but it's really, really, really valuable to know in advance the legal ins and outs of arranging versus writing versus remixing um, what those are considered in, in the world of um, song splits and what have you. That's right. Um, and it's really just important to educate yourself about it so that then when you're working, you can be thinking like, oh, actually I'm writing. Yes. No, I'm not just arranging. Um, and because I don't, I certainly didn't know that when I started out and I think a lot of people still don't. Um, and, uh, I did actually have a few situations in the film scoring business actually, where I had, I was being hired by different well-known composers in the 
world of Hollywood, in Hollywood actually, mm-hmm. to um, do what one of them called cellification. <laughs> nice. Which was I would come down with my looping rig and I would improvise to a scene and they would record it and then it would make it into the movie. Um, that was composing. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But I was, but I was only being paid as a session player. Yeah. And, uh, and once I realized that, then I started um, saying, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, then I'll need to be credited. You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know the difference at the time. I just thought, oh, I'm just being a session cellist. But actually I was going in there and I was writing material. So, and you're right. It's, it's really hard. You can't do it afterwards. No. <laughs> you can't go later and go to the person, go to the producer and be like, you know that movie that I did a session on a year ago? I actually wrote that thing. <laughs> can you go back and add my name to the credits? This is and my- actually, while we're at it, can I get, can I, can I get back in royalties too? Oh, I, I do have one. This may be slightly related. I do have something I ask for now, which, you know, I did with Amanda, which was um, whenever I do something that is like a major thing, I I actually have like featuring Zoe Keating in the song nice. title because because it, it's a really the former information architect in me finds that very alarming data wise because you're mixing up different kinds of data in a title. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, in the way that music metadata works, that's the only way that you can often be searched. Right. But that you know that's. That's like that's my other one ask right now. <laughs> it's like if I'm going to work with you, then you have to give me a feature credit. Exactly, very smart. But, so then we have the chapter: music publishing isn't scary or confusing. Um, plus, how to land a sync placement. So first, um, I learned from you. I guess I learned this in school, but then you illuminated it. Basically, like the PRO's formulas work against you, right? Is that still the case? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you can do about that? Um, well, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna earn any, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a winner take all situation, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the only way the pros work for me is because of my television. Right. Thing. That's, that's all that I get from them. Like, um, you know, I, I'm played on morning edition once a week and be on morning edition, but that doesn't earn anything. Um, there's a show called On Being, you know, that you find in their music. That people play me on various old radio stations, but that's... And I know that, like, you know, coffee shops and all that, they still use sampling. They still have a person who goes around and listens. Interesting. Um, so, so in terms of, like, that, that's not going to really ever amount to anything. I think yeah. where, where the pros come in is once you start getting placement. And then um, there are certain fees that each broadcast medium has to pay on the back end. So for example, I have this show called, this is a show by CBS called Elementary, and they just wrapped up, I think their eighth season, it's over, Mm -hmm. and they put my music in most episodes, and it's syndicated, so it's gone, it's translated to different languages, it plays in different countries, and, um, you know, just that show is you know, $15,000 a year or something. Fantastic. Just, 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 just from royalties from it playing in other countries. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's where ASCAP and BMI are very important. Yes. However, that's going to be diminishing over time because streaming television is taking over. So right. like Netflix 
didn't have to make the same deals that, that the CBS, NBC, ABC had to make. Yeah. So the highest, the highest back-end royalties are from ASCAP and what have you are, are from those big three. And then it's less and less and less for cable, and then it's less and less and less for Amazon and for Netflix and what have you. And I think that there's kind of like a writing on the wall for the future for composers where that money is... I've always looked at it as that's your composer's retirement fund. Like yeah. if you if you have a lifetime of music being synced in TV shows and what have you, those are going to rerun and that's going to continue to pay you over time. But that's going to go away if it all becomes streaming television. Yep. <laughs> so so then it becomes even more important to get a really good seat up front because you're probably not going to get anything on the back end. Right. Um, so that, those are complicated things there. That that one. The but. Um, I guess you could call it publishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you collect on your publishing? Well, I mean, I have, I'm a member of ASCAP, um, although uh, this is another subject which you don't touch on. I don't even know if it's worth it, but those decisions you make right in the beginning about what what society you're going to use mm-hmm. or what um, digital distributor you're going to use, mm-hmm. those are really hard to change. Like, um, and it's, you can't just switch because... Um, it took a long time for me to get anything from ASCAP because I had to squeak. Right. I squeaked for a while that I wasn't getting anything. And then eventually I got somebody's attention and I got somebody to go look at my account and then suddenly I started getting royalties. Yeah. And I, that's a story for a lot of people. And so I've always been concerned that if I were to suddenly switch to CSAC, right. um, that my television royalties, there would be a gap there. It's a mysterious process of how does that get switched from one to the other. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's like a, a large chunk of money for me, and so I, I haven't been willing to risk it. Um, and then the same thing to a similar extent with your digital distributor. Like initially when I started out, CD Baby was the only thing in town, so I used them. And now there are many better options, um, especially if you have volume. You know, So I, I, I'm in a little subcategory of that a lot of the digital distributors don't touch classical. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I can't use TuneCore because they won't do classical I've talked to both the founders and they weird yep. Peter Wells and I had an argument about it in public once I'm sure um, but uh, so I have to use RootNote <laughs> that's what I use that's what I use now because they don't take a percentage I just want a flat fee yeah and um, but meanwhile CD Baby still manages some things and I absolutely cannot get like things like iTunes match royalties. I can't get them out of CD Baby. I've yeah. tried for years back and forth and they will be there forever. You, you can, it's, like you, it's like you can move other, I can move some parts of it to another distributor, but um, this little iTunes match piece, it's stuck with whoever first delivered it to me. Right. Um, so anyways, back to the publishing, it, it really is valuable for you as a musician to think about the kind of music you make Go look at what other kind of songwriters and composers are similar to you. What organizations are they on? Mm-hmm. Because each one of them has kind of different sort of specialties, really. You know, like the TV people are with Afghan. <laughs> right. um, so, and it, it can matter because this still it's still opaque, right? They can find you more money. <laughs> yeah. And so you want, you want to be with the group that's going to find you more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think... There is, uh, there, I'm spacing on it now, there's actually another performing rights organization, which was the one that was created by, what's his name? Oh, Irving, the Irving is often. Yeah. Yes, he created his own, and uh, that I was going to go on to, to that one, like Jeff Russo, 
my co-composer was really trying to pull me over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't for similar reasons, but anyway, that's, um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that he gets like the most possible money there is yeah. for his composers. For sure. <laughs> Um, so how are you collecting your publishing besides your ASCAP? Oh, well, I have Harry Fox mm-hmm. for my mechanical. That's, that's what I do for that. Um, and then obviously there's sound exchange. Um, and then I have a direct account with YouTube. Um, can you tell me a little bit, I mean, you've had so much success with sync and scoring and things like that. That's certainly something that, many artists constantly want to get into. Um, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the sinks you've landed over the years and, and those relationships? Well, um, I would say that a lot of the, the okay, just pure synchronization where it's like they're taking a song and like, yeah. um, has been from, <laughs> I think my, the way that I played the cello at all those tech conferences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I played at Orca World in front of 10,000 people. And somebody saw me there who was putting it on and said, oh, that music was great. And they happened to work for an ad agency. And then when they were doing this ad, they were like, what about that cellist? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's been word of mouth. I, I never, I've never, ever submitted my music to an agency. Um, all of my sync, which I still continue to get, comes from what I call mono from heaven. <laughs> it's like comes out of the sky that way. And I think it's from, you know, there was a period of time there where I was kind of omnipresent in a certain kind of tech circle. Yeah. And, um, and that was when I had to, you know, like my peak licensing. And so, um, so I did a, a Chrysler Jeep ad that was, um, called Jenny and the Jeep. <laughs> Still up there. What was, it, what was it called? Um, Sometimes with proper nouns. <laughs> it was there was it was a big year. It was like the um, halftime in America was, was the name of the commercial series that uh-huh. happened at the, the Super Bowl. Anyway, it's up there. Um, yeah, they were all they were all like Chrysler ads for G- and you know Jeep Wrangler, and um, so that went air during the Super Bowl. And then there was another one for uh, Chrysler DMX, and then it did a series of ads for IBM and for Intel, like Intel sponsored me for a year. That was great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, gosh, there's, there were so many other ones like that. The, the, the Chrysler, the Chrysler ones were the biggest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then there's countless films. I mean, all the films and documentaries and that's actually something on my to-do list is I should make a page of all the things. Yeah. But, there's a, there's a little thing there, which is that sometimes I'm one of those people where people discover my music and they think that they're the only one. <laughs> right. And so then they have to have it for their film. And I don't necessarily always want them to realize that it's in a lot of other films. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's actually been a huge problem for me in the world of dance, um, where I heard from a major choreographer at a major ballet company that they wanted to use something, but they didn't because they said so many lesser companies had already used it. Interesting. But those lesser companies never licensed it for me, so it was only hurting me. Right. And it's the same thing with some of the films. Like, I actually had a situation where my agent, he said, you know, you've become the sad social environmental documentary musician, where people put your music in, 
like the New York Times put it in this um, pollution in China multimedia thing. It was it was big because it was the first multimedia thing the New York Times did. Like now they do it mm-hmm. all the time, but it was the first one. Um, and I got a Pulitzer Prize. Wow. <laughs> it had my music in it. Amazing. So I was I was kind of joking that I does that mean I got a Pulitzer? <laughs> yes, I would say yes. <laughs> Um, they sent me a nice photograph. <laughs> it meant that, like, it made it a little, some of the music for a while there was hard to license because it had already been in some environmental thing, you know, or like, what have you. So, um, so I think that's one of the reasons why I haven't always publicized what I'm in. Yeah. But, you know, they've been slow and steady. Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. They still come in, which is good. Yeah. Um, and then I started doing actual scoring um, in 2008. That's when I did my first picture, my first full picture. And then um, I got a TV show in 2014. And that came out about a really funny way, which was that, um, you know, the editors had used my music really heavily in the temp score for this, for this show. Mm-hmm. And um, they, the director, they, they approached the guy who's now my agent, they approached him and said, we really, uh, we love music. Can you, do you have anybody in your roster who, who is like this? <laughs> and he said, to his credit, he said, why don't you just hire her? Right. And then he went and tracked me down. Nice. And I, that's why I'm very loyal to him because he did that. Um, and they were very skeptical. They were like, well, has she ever done this before? And he, he did a little research and found that I had done some composing. It's just that I hadn't done any Hollywood you know, stuff in Hollywood. Yep. And so, so that was my first, that was my first gig. And, and all the other things I've done so far have been things where somebody has used my music in something and then they end up hiring me to write more for the project. Nice. So then, so, you know, I'm doing like a composer, I'm working as a composer and then also doing a thing. So great. That's awesome. Both very, very competitive worlds, as you know. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think I don't really, um. I don't care about the status part of it. I don't live in LA. So there, yeah. there was a big, there was a big decision I had to make when I came to Vermont and um, my agent and the people I was working with, they really wanted me to move to LA and they were like, so, you know, you're already doing it and you could do more if you were here because it's, people in LA have a real distress of people who are not in LA. <laughs> and so be, because we're in this era of peak television, it's actually a great time to break into the industry because they really need music and they need stuff that's different. Um, but when it really comes down to it, they really want you to be there. <laughs> so weird. So. Um, okay. Uh, setting up your release and distribution plan. What does that mean to you? You've already touched on that a little bit. Yeah. I think that that's going to change for every release because the technology is changing again. I really, when I released a little EP last year, I was really at a loss. I thought, gosh, how do you really space it out? Like I, I, I'm, I still feel like we're kind of between formats, um, and it's like, is it really all streaming now, or is it? Should I, should I release the music embedded in a lampshade, or <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what should I do here? Um, should I, yeah, should I sell T-shirts with music in them? <laughs> right. And uh, I just decided to. Uh, it, it felt like an anachronism, but I, I ended up doing a kind of like an informal survey on social media and by, by my email list. Like, hey, I have a new thing. What format do you want it in? Nice. And I just asked them. Yeah. And surprisingly, people wanted CDs. Yeah. 
and that I was not, I was absolutely not going to make another CD. Right. But that was the one that had the most percentage of votes. Yep. So I made CDs for that reason, and I sell them, which blows my mind. So, you know, I did that, and then I released it on all the platforms that I care about. Um, are there any platforms you don't care about? Uh, YouTube. Yeah. I actually don't, I don't release it there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so that might change, you know, for a long time, I, I didn't actually release on Spotify. I had, I had my, what I call my legacy albums on Spotify. Uh-huh. I put them up there in 2015. Yeah. And then I didn't release any new material there until last year. Right. Apple is still substantial for me, which is, I imagine that now that the I, the iTunes store is gone, that might change. Right. Um, but, uh, that hasn't hit just yet. So I'm, I'm waiting to see what that's going to look like. But, you know, Apple has, I, I make that kind of joke that iTunes pays my mortgage, except that it was true. Yeah. Um, is your catalog housed in one place anywhere? Um, on Apple. Nice. And on Bandcamp. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I figured. Yeah, Apple and Bandcamp. Um, okay. How to market with or without a budget? Do you think about, quote, marketing? No, I don't. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> I, I really don't. <laughs> I, maybe that's a problem, but I don't. No, I, it's not a problem. Um, yeah. I, I figured that's what you would answer. I guess. Um, so when I'm not saying that that's the way for it for every day. That's not necessarily totally move, <laughs> for sure. I'm I'm just getting inside your head a little bit. So when you put out a release, what do you do after it's out? Oh, well, I guess I am marketing in a way. I mean, my time is marketing, right? So mm-hmm. um, I talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I, and I still feel like my concerts are the best marketing there is. So yeah. um, getting out there and performing is, is the best advertisement for me. For sure. For anything. And um, uh, I still, I said earlier that I have a merch table, but I still don't sell CDs. I, um, I put them out there and I put a donation box. Nice. Um, because I really, what I really want to do is it, it really works for me when people take a CD and they give it to a friend. Yeah. Um, and, and I also, you know, from my calculations so far that I've seen, I make more money with the donation box than I would if I sold them. Yep. So, um, and it makes people feel good. And, so, but, uh, let's see, what else do I do? I guess I, I've been tweeting and one thing I haven't done because I haven't had time this year is I haven't, I haven't tallied up all the income from that one recording and seen how it's done compared to the other things. Nice. Cause that's, and it's on my agenda to do, but it's just taken me a while. Um, because I was curious to see like, well, is it the direct to fan via Bandcamp? Is it iTunes? Is it, Spotify, what, what is it that's, that's, that's um, what's, what's the most volume and what's the most money? All this, I, I don't have a clear picture of that. So, sorry. I know what it is across the, I know what it is across the board. Right. But for the one new thing. Yeah. I want to know what it was. Yeah. I did create for this book, um, a revenue stream, uh, spreadsheet that I'm just mm-hmm. sharing with everyone. Um, 
So if that's helpful, that, that was kind of the point of that. So people could project what they make monthly, what they make annually. So it can feel like a real job in a good way. Well, I, I already do like a quarterly thing because I have to do my estimated taxes yeah. for my accountant. However, it is very, at the end of the year, I try to do a release to my audience. I say, this is what I made this year. You know, I still do that. And I yeah, yeah, yeah. Google spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And I did it last year. Um, and it is, every year it's harder and harder to do that just because everything is so, comes in such piecemeal. Yes. And when you have a lot of material, it's very hard sometimes to parse out what it is. Like you've seen the quantity of statements you get from Apple each period. It's like a folder of 50 documents. Right. And you have to figure out in there what is the sales, what's the streaming, what territory, what currency are they giving it to you? It's not like I can just, you know, tally it all and be like this, 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 you know, like if they send me, say they send me like $1,300, I have to go through there and figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, you know, the music reports. <laughs> so my, my mechanical royalties are collected by music reports and Harry Fox and Harry Fox more reasonable. I get like a check every quarter. <laughs> right. It's doable. But Every, it feels like every week there's a check in my box for music reports or two or three. And last week, I think I've deposited eight checks and they're all for like $10, $15, and they just come in, they trickle in all the time. And I wish that it was direct deposit. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, it's just, I find it increasingly difficult to try to try to automate all of that. Um, to just say like, this is what I made from this song in a six month period. <laughs> I tried to do that. Um, it, I mean, it's cumbersome as you say, but I, I laid out in the revenue stream checklist chapter, um, okay. like here's all your revenue streams. You I know. can see that. And it still seemed a little like simple from, from what I have. It definitely is there. simple because yeah. everyone I meet who's not you is missing you know, some of those simple ones. So that's why we need to do the sequel. Yeah, wait, we'll do the sequel book at some point. Like, okay. Yeah. I, sh- I should send you, I should send you a link to my Google spreadsheet because they're public. Um, and it's I'd where love I, that. I, yeah, I put them in there and then they have a, they have a little percentage calculation in there so I can calculate the per rate stream and all that, you know, how much did I get per stream or, um, all that stuff or the calculation of the CD baby want to deduct CD baby 5% right. <laughs> to figure out what, what I gave them. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you ever think about, Oh, I know this journalist or that journalist and I have a release coming out. Does that ever cross your mind? Um, no. And I, I do, I do know this journalist because I've talked with them about music streaming issues, you know, like Ben Cesario and New York times or this guy, what have you, but, um, or, or like Bob Boylan at NPR. Yeah. But, um, no, I've never said that myself. And I assume any radio tends to happen organically. Yeah. Yeah. It usually gets like added to like new sounds at WMYC or something like that. Um, and I think that this is where, I've thought about like how I would do this in the, in the future if I want to, because I've, I've never had like a music publication review of my work. Right. Yeah. So, you know. um, 
touring. Do you have any thoughts on live strategy, efficient touring? And then I think I know the answer, but do we know of any single parents on the road beyond mega stars? There's very few. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's where I get into my new phase, which is that um, the school will not let me take my son out of school. Um, and so then what do I do? Right. Because I can't, I can't leave him here with a paid caregiver for weeks at a time. Totally. When he's, you know, I can't do that. Um, so I'm, that's why I'm kind of like thinking I'm at a transition point and I have to figure out what to do. Um, in the early days, you can bring them with you, and you know, on the Imogen Heap tour, I I hired sitters in each city. Um, it cost me two hundred dollars per night to do that because the amount of time that you need a sitter for when you have yeah. a company is a lot. Totally, but um, so it it costs a lot. So if I was doing my own shows, it would be feasible. But if I'm coming as a session player, it isn't. Um, but. Uh, you know, I think that's always shift. If, if you're young, just get it, just get out there and do it. Because once once you start getting into adult life, it becomes really difficult to tour. <laughs> yes. Um, so. Merch. What is your relationship with merch like? Um, well, I'm a really kind of hardcore environmentalist, and I always have been. And early on in my career, like in the '90s, I decided I didn't want to sell merchandise because I didn't want people to buy more stuff. Yeah. I was really, I didn't even want to make CDs, but I was delighted when MP3s came along because I wanted to just, I think this is great. I can just do digital music and don't even have to make a thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was an early supporter of Adbusters. Yeah. <laughs> way back when. Totally. I love Adbusters. And, um, and so, uh, so that's the place where I leave a lot of money on the table, but kind of on purpose, I guess. Um, I just don't, I don't sell merchandise. I did, I did sell a t-shirt once um, because people, so many people asked and I designed it myself, mm -hmm. the artwork. I had, I had them done. I printed them on, you know, a hundred percent organic. I found like the most expensive, most sustainable t-shirt you could get at the time. Um, made in America. You know? um, it wasn't American apparel, but it was like the next thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, it was the most expensive t-shirt on earth. <laughs> I bet. And lugging those things around was also expensive because they were paying overweight fees on airplanes. Yep. <laughs> so um, I just decided that I wasn't going to be doing that anymore. And uh, I made a, I did make a poster again, but I had issues with like the toxic inks. My newest CD is 100% um, post-consumer material. Awesome. Um, even the CD itself, and uh, you know, the only thing I think that is not is that it's really impossible to make a CD without um, the plastic shrimp or shrimp wrap. Right. And that's just plastic shrimp wrap. And it's, you know, um, I don't. I perhaps there is, but I haven't found any option yet for replacing that. So that's my stance on merch. Cool. I have two more questions for you. Um, I have a chapter called repeat and grow, which is basically like, okay, I just, you know, we just taught everyone all this stuff. Now you have to do it again. Um, when you have a new release or a new creation, is that something you consciously do or is that a natural evolution from one creation to the next for you? Um, every time I release something new, I look at the landscape and see what things are what's happening and see Smart. what I need to change or do differently. And it's different each time. Um, so I would say that it was different last year and it's definitely going to be different for my next release too. 
Um, and uh, I think it's a real mistake to do the same thing over and over again. But do you know you have to? You can't also expect that just because you sold something before you can sell it again. That's right. Um, and uh, it's absolutely not not a given that we all know the you know the attention cycle we have now that it um, people need to have a reason <laughs> to. To connect with you. <laughs> you, you have to give them the reason. Um, so um, hopefully, hopefully, you're, hopefully, you have a relationship with your parents where they need to connect with you. And um, that is definitely, it's definitely a plant that needs to be nurtured. I would say that that's probably the thing that I'm most part of is like, if your eye is still engaged with you, are they still growing? I love it. Um, like, uh, I think it's really concerning when things aren't growing. I, I remember being really psyched when um, teenagers, I found like more and more teenagers were so. I was like, yes, young people. Because they have still a few more years, they'll be going out for concerts. Yes, exactly. And stick with Amanda and Brian when you can too, because I, I don't know how there just continues to be younger siblings at their shit. It just keeps getting passed down somehow. Yeah. Um, okay, last question. Uh, the last chapter of the book, or basically the last chapter, is when do I need an attorney, business manager, and or manager? Defining an artist traditional quote team. Um, I think you understand why this chapter is last. You know, yeah. it's like build all this stuff up. Um, I mean, you've answered most of this, but do you have these roles in place? If so, or if not, why? I would say for an artist, when you start putting things off, like, oh, I can't get to that right now. Um, and that that becomes a chronic problem when you're doing it a lot, that means you need help. That's right. And, um, you know, and it's really, it's really useful, I think, to think about what are you not good at? What do you not like doing? And pass those things off to someone else. Like, I don't like negotiating money. I really don't. Yeah. And, um, my, I can justify my agent's cost because he guaranteed me, he said, listen, he's like, I'm going to get you double what you made before. And if I don't, and we can renegotiate. And it's true, he does. It's like, he can just, he, and he loves doing it. He loves it. <laughs> and, and my booking agent is the same way. I I can't tell you how happy I, it was. I think it's probably hard to get over the country, but I think it's harder to get a booking agent. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I feel like they're actually more valuable. And when I got my booking agent, it was such a relief because I was spending so much time researching venues, contacting them, trying to find a way and creating a fake manager for myself mm-hmm. to, to like, contact them. You know, the mysterious Mark who didn't really exist. <laughs> Mark was really good at negotiating money sometimes. But, um, and so having those two people was great because I loved it when I would get a licensing gig. You know, like somebody would say, Oh, we want to listen to music. How about this much money? I would just say yeah, right. <laughs> and I, 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 I didn't know what else to do. I was, it was really hard for me to switch into business mode, and also the clients make it hard too. Like they don't want to see you that way anyway. Right. Um, it's better for you if they don't have that discussion with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two things that I would do. I also would not do my own legal business. <laughs> No, yeah. And I, I'm just very happy to pay Peter um, to send off his letters. And um, when I used to, I used to be that I would find out about these you know, ballet companies using my music, and I would 
one episode of how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. Thanks again to the amazing Zoe Keating for all of that time. I just, I love the forward in the book so much. And um, it was really fun to share that phone call and and conversation with you all and hope you enjoyed it. Um, Thanks again to my amazing engineer, Nathan Kane, Matthew Wong, who composed the music for this podcast, 
and tune in next time uh, where I release another conversation that I never planned on releasing. Uh, We'll dig in on episode three, which is chapter one of the book. And that's Get Your Art Together with Justin Vernon of Bonavere. Bonavere.